We're, we had been in a somewhat of a series. It was kind of a thrown together series uh, on Wednesday nights, and I'm going to break out of that a little bit tonight. If you want to turn in your Bibles, if you open your old, uh, the Old Testament to Second Chronicles, we're going to cover quite a bit of ground, uh, not in real detail. Uh, I will read quite a bit uh, of Scripture tonight, but all from the same story. Chapter 14, Second Chronicles chapter 14, and chapter 14 through 16. Now, I probably won't read all of that, but that's, uh, that's the storyline where we will we'll go tonight. I don't know if you guys uh, heard much about some of the Arkansas hillbillies back in the day. You know, I guess they're still around, but, but uh, it's kind of a, a place that's famous for that. Well, there was these two uh, Arkansas hillbillies, Bubba and, and Jed, they both bought a horse and rode them together for the summer, but it came time for winter, and they didn't want to pay to have them uh, stable for winter. Instead, they decided to release them in a pasture and then uh, get them in the spring. And so they said, how are we going to tell each other's horse apart when we get back, you know, after all winter? And Sida said, well, Jed said, well, I'll cut the tail short on mine, and you cut the mane off on yours, and we'll be able to tell. Well, winter goes by, they come back summer, and Guess what? The mane grew back on one, the other one, and the tail grew back on the other one. Like, well, how are we going to tell which one is which? Finally, Bubba just said, I guess you'll have to take the white one, I'll take the black one. <laughs> Has absolutely nothing to do with the message, but um, if I get a new joke uh, I haven't been able to tell, then you're, you're, my, you're my group to tell it to. So, yeah, <laughs> I'm the victims. So, I remember as a child, my mom telling me that uh, when she dropped me off to Sunday school, in fact, ironically, right before the kids took off the back, I just felt the urge to turn to all three of my kids and say, you'd be good tonight. You'd be good tonight. My mom didn't usually end with just, you'd be good. It was usually, uh, you better act right or I'll find out. I'll find out and it's going to be bad, right? And, and you just wonder, like, how is she going to find out, you know? How is she going to find out? I mean, she's in the main service. I'm in the kids' church. How is she going to know? Every time I did something wrong, Mom knew. And back then, I wasn't really sure how she knew, but she did. You know, I guess it was easy enough. They talked to the teacher. But Jesus told the lukewarm church of Laodicea, I know your works. And the interesting thing is, I know we think that we live as if Jesus sees everything we do, but I don't think we really do. You know? It's kind of like those times when you snuck out of bed to go watch late night TV that you weren't really allowed to watch, right? Until all of a sudden you realize Jesus might be watching, so you get under a blanket to watch it so he can't see you watching it, right? Because he's up above. You know, maybe you as a kid did that. I did one time. He can't see me. I'll just hide under the blanket. I did that many times thinking if I was in some place that would block his view, you know, he wouldn't know. Well, today, this these passages, uh, chapter 14 through 16, we're looking at the life of King Asa. And the t- title of the message tonight are, Are You Fed Up or Fizzled Out? Are you fed up or fizzled out? You see, Asa started out, uh, King Asa, he started out fired up. In fact, let's just start reading in, in chapter 14 to kind of warm us up to the story here. Uh, so, a uh, Abijah slept with his fathers, and they were buried with him in the city of David. And Asa, his son, reigned in his place. In his days, the land had rest for ten years. And Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. 
He took away the foreign altars and the high places and broke down the pillars and cut down the ashram and commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, and to keep the law of the commandment. Chapter, or verse 5. He also took out of all the cities of Judah the high places and the, and the incense altars. And the kingdom had rest under him. He built fortified cities in Judah, for the land had rest. He had no war in those years, for the Lord gave him peace. And he said to Judah, Let us build these cities and surround them with walls and towers, gates and bars. The land is still ours because we have sought the Lord our God. We have sought him, and he has given us peace on every side. So they built and prospered, and Asa had an army of 300,000 from Judah, armed with large shields and spears, and 280,000 men from Benjamin that carried shields and drew bows. All of these were mighty men of valor. So King Asa started strong. You know, right now, uh, it doesn't seem like we're going to escape all the media frenzy still over the last presidential election, and we're still hearing about the wall and all these things. But, but Asa started out strong. He had the support of his people, had strong, uh, mighty men of valor in large number for his armies. And not since the time of Solomon had anyone done that. I mean, if you read through the Old Testament, you'll know that but between kings and judges, there's a lot of them did evil in the sight of the Lord. But uh, Asa has spoken positively here about in, in how he led whether it's altars or idols or, or in the groves, they were all pulled down. And then Asa pulled them down because he knew they were a defiance to God. He, he understood that the idols and the, all the, the pagan worship, that it was working against the one true God. So it makes us, um, you know, he understood that we can't allow sin in our lives because it makes us susceptible to God's judgment. Now, I always like to bring in something that, you know, God, God generally gives me something that ties into the message shortly before I preach it. And it's always kind of like he throws me a bone as a young, inexperienced preacher to say, okay, no, you didn't just dream this message up from eating too much pizza one night. I, I'm, I'm trying to speak to you here. And uh, a blessing today. I got a call from a guy who uh, uh, kind of a byproduct of Mickey leading people to the Lord in jail, and he got led to the Lord through others and then I went to visit him and and so I had seen that he got out some months ago and and was hoping I'd hear from him and and uh, so he calls me up today he says uh Pastor CJ I'd really like to meet with you I'm I'm going through some stuff and so we met and he was talking about how um the, not to get into all the details we had this protective order that's supposed to be done after a year and he's back with family that they were supposed to be protected from right so he thinks it's all good well something comes up and they say no uh, we don't see that that was done, and they pick him up from his job where he's doing well. God been working his life. He's involved in a church with his wife. Everything's going good, and now he's facing some stuff that he thought was all good. He, he was trying to do the right thing. Well, in the panic, you know, and he's talking to me. He's telling me some things about how he's like, um, do you think I should uh, worry about still hanging around these people? You know, are they going to, or, or do you think they'll be looking for me? And I, in, in his speech, what I was hearing and, and what I told him in, in love is, <clears throat> you know, there's a God principle at work with us that once we know the truth, we're held to a higher standard. And, and whether you feel like it's right what they're doing or wrong, but if, if that's the rules, you've got to play by those rules because God's favor follows along with the rules. It's kind of like when, you know, when we as Christians, when we keep pushing the speed limit, 
time and time again thinking everybody else is doing it, right? We reason out. And then we're in this big group of cars. I guarantee you when you get stopped, you're probably the only believer in all those other cars. The reason they didn't get stopped is they weren't believers. You're, you're being held to that standard. God has a way of holding us to a higher standard. And King Asa understood this principle that it makes us susceptible to God's judgment when we push it. When we live in a way where we're trying to live a life of permission instead of submission. The Apostle Paul lived a life of submission. What can I give up for the cause of Christ? Not what I can get away with. And so in, in our church culture today, uh, grace is a good thing. It's a valid thing that, that Jesus paid the price for on the cross. But we tend to take grace and use it for a license to sin. That's a danger we run into. What can I get away with and still be a Christian? Um, if you start picking at some of the things I'm getting away with, I'm either going to A, say that you're legalistic, or B, you're judging me, right? Or both. But Ace understood, you've got a clean house. When, if you want the Lord's favor, then you need to be striving to clean house, not look at what you can keep around. And so he's cleaning the house. Kind of reminds me of the uh, psychiatrist that found himself working on a Friday afternoon on a beautiful day like today. And uh, the mayor phones him up and says, hey, I'll pay for a few rounds of golf if you can get off early if you don't have any patience. And about that time, he hangs up, and this, this guy walks in that suffers with delusions. And uh, he doesn't have an appointment, and the secretary says, well, what's your issue? He says, well, I know that I'm invisible, but everybody keeps telling me I'm not. And so I need to see the, the doctor and so I can determine if I'm right or they're wrong. And so the uh, secretary goes in, closes the door, begins telling this psychiatrist that wants to get out of there and says, you know, tells him the situation. This guy thinks he's invisible. And the psychiatrist rolls his eyes a little bit, looks at his watch and says, just tell him I can't see him. All right, that one wasn't as good. Moving on. So not only did Asa stop the sin they'd been involved in, he became active in doing what God wanted him to do. He wasn't sitting idle, just thankful he wasn't sinning. And I want you to understand this uh, principle about how God works. He wasn't just sitting idle, thankful that he was no longer sinning. He was proactive about removing anything that could continue to cause sin. You know, hey, they're going through the land, and here's the old astropole. Here's the place we used to worship the pagan god. It's not doing any harm. Nobody's paying attention to it, right? But somebody could. So he has all that removed. And see, as basic as that seems to us, I remember in the 80s, I'm going to transition here in a minute, maybe some of you know, in the 80s, in youth groups, it was really popular to have, 70s and 80s have record burnings, right? You had all the stories about the, the, the rock music that was like screaming and jumping out of the fire because it had demons. You know, you heard of that. I don't know if it's true or not, but, you know, they have these big bonfires, and everybody bring their non-Christian music, and they burn it. Now, we may poke fun at that, but there's something I believe the church has kind of lost, in a sense, of this cleaning house concept of, of let's get rid of it so that it's never a temptation. I can tell you right now, I don't know where they're at. I don't know where they've been packed. But along the moves, we probably have DVDs that we bought earlier on in our marriage that I wouldn't watch now, allow my kids to watch. I wouldn't watch or let Jen watch. It may be that they have some cursing in them. It may be something, but I wouldn't watch them again because, you know, if I forgot and start watching pretty soon, I'd start having that check in my spirit. Like, ooh, I, di I didn't remember it being this way. We tried to watch some 1980s Tom Hanks movies. I thought Tom Hanks was like everything was G-rated. 
found out pretty quick you can't trust all the Tom Hanks movies, right? And so, so the idea here is that, you know, we need to understand that there's a principle that it, God's judgment, it's not that he's waiting to strike us down. I'm going to smite you as the almighty smiter every time you mess up, but he is a God of righteous judgment. And it's Jesus who acts as our advocate, says, I know, but I paid the price. But when you trample on grace to a certain point, you start removing yourself from the graces. It's like some of these guys I've dealt with where they're trying to look for ways to, to live in permission, right, instead of submission. And so their public defender has enough of them because they keep treading that line, messing up, and finally they stop defending them so well. You know, you only get pull one over on me too many times. Now, Jesus isn't like that, but we do know from Scripture that that we can remove ourselves from the favor of God, from the protection of God, that if we continue on a path. So this is the idea. This is where a, uh, King Ace is at. He's, he's trying to make sure that not only did they stop sinning, but they didn't have anything that could cause them to sin again. It was all taken out. And some people think that if they just quit the major areas of sin, they've arrived. You know, um, I, can, I can do things that still hurt my body, but I'm no longer doing things that hurt my soul. I, I can, you know, listen, some of you are going to try to pick out in your mind what you think I'm picking on. It could be workaholism. You could be working so many hours, you know you're hurting your body, and you're doing it thinking you could just, you're going to have grace, God's going to help you going, and he's already told you in his word that you should get rest. That everyone needs a day of rest, everyone needs, and, and you're going to push the limits. Or whether it's a substance that you think you can just keep using, and God's just going to look past that, but you're, you're doing harm to yourself, and God has created your body to live free of that. And so I, I get concerned that we, we think that God has changed since we were younger, especially some of us older that grew up in church. You know, God has changed now. We, we now have been enlightened that he has a lot more grace than we used to think, and all the older churches were just legalistic and, you know, Pentecostal spitting preachers that would tell you everything's wrong. You know, I've joked about the devil ears, right? When TVs used to have the antennas, you adjust, and so the preachers would preach against that, and the TVs would all go in the yard. When the revival's over, the TVs would come back. But to get away with it long-term, they'd put the antennas in the attic where they couldn't be seen on the roof. So when the preacher drove by, nobody would see the antennas, right? But... But still, it's an idea of what can I get away with? Now, there is something to be said about uh, preachers and others who take the gospel and pick bones that are personal. And it's not the conviction of the Holy Spirit. It's just condemnation. But this isn't what this scripture is about. I mean, literally, they had all kinds of idolatry going on through the land, and they had to clean house. We're not supposed to just hold the fort down. We're supposed to start showing kindness, forgiveness, mercy, compassion, love, generosity, good deeds. Strive for holiness. Remember when I said that humility is a word not used much around church or anywhere else anymore? So is holiness. I'd like you to try to think until I said that word, holiness, when's the last time you heard that? Maybe some of you come from a family or a background where you're hearing it still. That's still talked around circles, but... But it is something that we're supposed to strive for. Holiness. That's being uh, more and more Christ-like where the sin is getting further from our life to where we're becoming more like Christ and we're walking in holiness. 
Now, it's not our own holiness, just like it's not our own righteousness. It's only Jesus shining through us. But that's the whole idea. We're getting out of the way. Like Paul said, we're dying to the sin so that Christ might shine through. And some of us, we can kind of be okay with leaving the window shade down so Jesus only comes out when we want to talk about him. Right? I'm not going to let him shine through until I'm in my best moment where I'm not dealing with all my uh, addictions or problems. So we not need not only to put off the fallen nature, but put on Christ. It's not about just getting rid of the old habits, but it's about putting on Christ. So Asa found his reforms didn't generate as much opposition as he feared. There was rest in the land. In Proverbs 16, 7, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. That seems odd. Because right now we think if we really serve God with with uh, ISIS and all that, we're making more people mad. But the scripture says that when when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. So when they obey the Lord, we'll be rewarded by him. See, prosperity is not a time for rest, but a time of preparation. Uh, preparation. Preparation H. Preparation. Pre- preparation. Some of you were about to go to sleep. I did that on purpose. Not really. <clears throat> it's a time of preparation. It's the same thing. I'm only saying it in a different way. I've said many times. When things are going good for you and you're walking the Lord, you can see clearly you're not going through trials. You're not going through struggles. That's not the time to relax. That's time to dig in and learn as much as you can about the Lord and why you can see clearly. Because when the trials come on, you tend to make rash decisions you tend to react quickly you tend to tend to want to go into survival mode and you start panicking and you want to take control back from the lord instead of letting him have control when you just got the promotion at work and your family's all happy and you're looking around like we're blessed with all this stuff praise god it's good and all of a sudden you had a water line break and you've got a 1700 dollars bill and you don't know how you're paying it's like god what are you doing to me and all of a sudden it's god's fault or all of a sudden it's like I don't have time to mess around with this God stuff because I've got real life stuff to deal with. We tend to compartmentalize. Here's my God life at church and when I'm talking to godly people and then here's my stuff I just got to take care of. And I've said this over and over. The, the sad part for most of us, even myself, who feel like we're really striving for the Lord, I think we're still going to have a big wake-up call when we end up at, that, in, uh, at heaven's gates and we start thinking back across our life and realize how much we made all these menial, temporal things important and the kingdom of God stuff as a side item, as a sideline. God, I was, I was doing it all for my family, which I thought was doing it for you. And God says, yeah, but, you know, what's your family doing now? You might have made all that money, but what happened with your children's lives or your, your, your spouse? What happened between that? What, what kind of... Uh, spiritual things lasting things happen during that time you see asa thought peacetime was a prudent time for improvement when things were are going smoothly uh it's not time to kick back and relax you're supposed to take advantage of the opportunity to improve to deepen your spiritual life to study the word prepare for spiritual warfare to dig in in to the spirit you see i see this happen and play out sometimes in people's lives they are absent from the body when everything's going good, and they're back among the body when they need somebody to help bail them out. Because they've, 
they've taken that time when God has given them some rest and given them a time of prosperous time, a time of, and they think, okay, well, things are going good. I'm good with Jesus. I, I'm praying I spend time, but God designed us to do this together and to keep getting sharpened together, to build community. And we think that's a time that we can just say, okay, well, I'll, I'll go take care of my stuff, and then if things get hard, I'll come back. I'll come back to the community. Um, some cool things I've just seen lately, like we have one church member that traveled with another one a good distance to be there during some medical procedures. Uh, I've had somebody bless me this week with fixing a problem on a vehicle that I just didn't feel like I had time to deal with and thought it was bigger. Um, you know, and so uh, it's really that sense of uh, those are menial things, but they have spiritual value because we're becoming a community. We're, we're helping in time of need. We're not off doing our own thing, and the only when things get rough, we're coming back hoping that somebody's going to be there for us. God didn't design it that way, and so King Asa understands that his people would tend to, from a fallen nature, want to kick back and relax because they're kicking tail and taking names with their enemies, right? Um, in, in some of the passages we read, they, they were able to take all the, all the stuff that they captured, all the loot from the nations they, they uh, defeated, and then they're building walls and fortifying their cities. It just seems like everything's going great. And God gives them a time of rest. But a person who is fired up for the Lord recognizes their opportunity to gain ground with God. I was really ever cognizant of this this last weekend when I was at that church service. Because in all intents and purposes, you know, with uh, a building project on the horizon... You know, it may carry its own challenges, but man, start thinking about how blessed. You know, Jen and I uh, built a home we couldn't have even dreamed of having, and then and, uh, we got a loving church, and the church had been growing, and we got uh, the building project and all that, but, you know, I just had this thing in my gut saying, Lord's telling me, dig in deeper. You're, this is not the time to relax. This is not the time to relax. And, and honestly, last week, we got some news that was uh, that's still being worked out, but the engineers gave us that... that uh, could be a difficult thing in the process and right away i start saying oh god what's going to happen what's gonna, what's going to happen and see so even i'm susceptible to that I, I i let my guard down because things seem to be going good and then the enemy tries to give you a whammy and your reaction is to be like oh lord what are you doing to me let's look at the next event in the reign of uh, asa in uh, verses 9 through 15 Chapter 14, verse 9 through 15. Zerah the Ethiopian came out against them with an army of a million men and 300 chariots and came as far as Maresha. And Asa went out to meet him, and they drew up their lines of battle in the valley of Zetha at Maresha. And Asa cried to the Lord his God. This is what he said. He said, O Lord, there is none like you to help between the mighty and the weak. Help us, O Lord, our God, for we rely on you, and in your name we have come against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Let not man prevail against you. So the Lord defeated the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. And Asa and the people who were with him pursued them as far as Gerar, and the Ethiopians fell until none remained alive, for they were broken before the Lord, his army. The men of Judah carried away very much spoil, and they attacked all the cities around Gerar, and for the fear of the Lord was upon them. 
They plundered all the cities, for there was much plunder in them. And they struck down the tents of those who had livestock and carried away sheep in abundance and camels. Then they returned to Jerusalem. So what was the purpose? Why did God allow it? I mean, they seem like on top of the game, everything's going good. Why did God allow this? I mean, revival had broke out in Jerusalem, and then here comes this invasion. And, and what's up with that? God wants them to rise to a higher level of trust and experience. That's what's up with it. He wants them to rise to the occasion. You see, we often think when things are going good that God is trying to, to, um, uh, to bless us, which he is, and then if something happens bad, we automatically say, well, Satan's trying to take things away from us. We leave God out of the equation. God might actually be testing us to grow us. He might bring a, enough opposition in to push us further. You know, we in our spiritual lives don't grow without opposition. I, I, if everything went smoothly for me as a pastor here, everything with this building project, everything that, that happens went smoothly for me, I'd never grow. I remember some difficult situations I dealt with my first year, and I had a, uh, uh, several board members. One of them had never been on a church board before, and he didn't know whether he liked seeing the good and the bad and the ugly, the behind-the-scenes stuff sometimes. And the Holy Spirit helped me deal with a difficult situation where the words that came out of my mouth sounded really intelligent because they weren't mine. It was really a Holy Spirit moment where it helped me, and, and it had been real easy for me. That I remember that board member saying, wow, I just, I'm not saying that you're not a good leader. I just never would have guessed that. And I had to admit, I said, that was the Holy Spirit. I said, you're right, I'm not that good. It, it, it's the Holy Spirit. So here's the thing. Sometimes God puts those things in our path because he gives us and equips us uh, with the ability to handle them. And then from that, it builds our faith. So the next time I dealt with a difficult situation, I'm like, well, the Lord showed up before. I trust him, he'll show up again. So this invasion challenged their faith. It gave God an opportunity of doing greater things in their lives. We know the scripture, too much is given, much is required. If you aren't challenged greatly, you won't become great. If you aren't challenged above what you think you can handle now, God can never trust you to handle more later. So it's no different for us. God never said we wouldn't be attacked or be in battle. But what he did say was, if we allow him to fight our battles, he'd give us the victory. The problem is we tend to run to our own aid and take it out of God's hands before he has a chance to show up. So the Hebrew translation says that thousands and thousands, which means a thousand times a thousand, a million, that, that's huge. That's what they were up against. And Asa had prepared for the battle, but he didn't trust uh, to his preparation but to the lord he cries out to god to help him so the Bi bible says that the lord struck them with terror and they were utterly defeated and plundered the bible says submit yourselves therefore to god resist the devil and he will flee from you and one of the advice i get one bit of advice i gave to the young man that came today i was like god is your advocate he asked for the first thing you should do i said you should cry out to god and ask him to bring you out of this situation and then you get your tail down to the records office and get the records that back up your story you know uh, god wants you to do do what you can but he's going to pick up where you can't the bible says submit yourselves therefore to god resist the devil 
and he will flee from you. God will fight our battles if we will depend on him, um, but we will also be commended by God. In chapter 15, verses 1 through 7, it says, The Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded, and he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all of Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you were with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For a long time Israel was without the true God, without a teaching priest, and without law. But when in their distress they turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought him, he was found by them. And in those times there was no peace to him who went out or to him who came in, for great disturbances afflicted all the inhabitants of the land. They were broken in pieces. Nation was crushed by nation and city by city. For God troubled them with every sort of distress. But you take courage. Do not let your hands be weak. For your work shall be rewarded. Don't forget God in your struggles. That's the point. When you seek him in them, he will be found. When you try to do it under your own strength, you won't find him there. But when God's involved and your enemies come at you, he will crush them. He'll use one to crush the other. So God met Asa through the prophet Azariah and, and congratulated him for his victory, but reminded him that it was conditional on his continued relationship. You cannot drop your guard. You have to remind yourself all the time that God is the one who delivered you. God is the one delivering you. It's real easy on the other side of that. You know, I've thought of times when I had some big bill or something that was really stressing us and and I went and talked to the people and just had a heart-to-heart with them, and, and they took money off the bill or whatever. And I go back to tell my wife, like, yeah, you should have seen it. Boy, I just wor- I worked that situation real good. And forgot all about the time I was, you know, before I left the house and was crying with God. I was like, oh, Lord, help me. We can't afford this. Or, oh, Lord, help me with this situation. And we quickly want to, when things are good, take credit. So Ace is being reminded uh, that, it was conditional on his continued relationship. God's favor was conditional that he kept things in line with the Lord. So God's presence is with us when we've been walking with him. And that, that prophecy led to a national revival. I won't read through it, but in verses 18, uh, 8 through um, 19, uh, they ended in covenant with the Lord. There's a, a lot of uh, events that led to revival. And then Asa grew more bold for God. Uh, the victory is a powerful motivator for further obedience. That's one thing uh, that we need to see more and more in our lives is once you've got the victory in one area that God has helped you with, the next thing you know, you're taking on bigger challenges. So his new steps were he destroyed all the idols throughout this kingdom. He prepared the altar, the temple. He set up the, t- uh, the altar of God the one true God, so that they did have a place to worship. And it had been 35 years since Solomon died. In all that time, there had been no repairs made to the temple until now. So they just let God's temple go to ruin while they're worshiping idols. And then he called a solemn assembly. He got everybody together, and he brought the ten tribes into his territories. And they, uh, they came because they saw that the Lord was with Asa. They could see it evident in his life. And people could see it when you're walking with God. It's just an age-old battle that we get into, whether we're being influenced by others or we're influencing them. I've got another sermon that fits in with our Sunday 
um, our Sunday uh, series on, on being influencers. Not manipulators, but influencers. God wants us to influence others. And some of us may walk into our workplace and we feel intimidated because we're the only believer or the only outspoken believer. But we should understand that God is on our side and we shouldn't fear um, that greater is he that's in us than he's in the world. And people will be able to see when you're walking with God. And it may not happen right then, but you'll see God work it out. I know there's somebody here tonight, I won't embarrass him, but they told me a pretty powerful story about being ostracized at work and, and having a continual just, is like people were just coming after this one person. And they prayed and gave it to God, and through a set of circumstances, God began to break down walls and, and uh, totally change the situation for them. And they were ready to quit and leave that job because it just was unbearable, but God came through. And people will see when you are God's, when you're God's person, they will begin to see that in you. So they entered into a covenant with God, and they were, uh, they were, they were, they're obligated, but making new commitments to God, and so that strengthened them to go further. And they swore to the Lord, not secretly, as if it, they were ashamed, but with a loud voice. We talked about uh, something on the trip with some of the guys from the motorcycle club uh, about uh, something in the service. Um, the pastor said, you know, we shouldn't be telling people, close your, close your eyes, bow your head. I don't want to embarrass anybody when they're getting ready to make a decision for Christ because it's not something to be embarrassed about. And any time that we make a covenant with God or we make an agreement with God, we shouldn't do it, you know, uh, as if we're ashamed of it. You know, when you go to marry somebody, the bridegroom, they make it very public. So, Anyway, he exposed the sin in his own house, and Asa de, uh, deposed his grandmother, um, Micah. Uh, and we can, so he, he deposed his grandmother, and uh, God had told him uh, to be strong. Don't give up, for your work will be rewarded. And I'm sorry, some of my notes, uh, my, my notes uh, didn't copy over, so uh, I have to skip one point. I'm sorry about that. But the idea is don't give up on what God is doing in your life because of opposition. And then new challenges to his faith arose, which we see in chapter 16. In the 36th year of the reign of Asa, uh, the king of Israel went up against Judah and built uh, Ramah that he, might, uh, that he might permit no one to go out or come in. Uh, so then Asa took silver and gold from the treasures of the house of the Lord and the king's house and sent them to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, who lived in Damascus, saying, There is a covenant between me and you, as there was between my father and your father. Behold, I am sending to you silver and gold. Go break your covenant with Baasha, king of Israel, that he may withdraw from me. And Ben-Hadad listened to the king, Asa, and sent the commanders of his armies against the cities of Israel, and they conquered, uh, conquered them at Dan. And so when... Basha heard of it, he stopped building Ramah and let his work cease. And the king Asa took all of Judah and they carried away the stones of Ramah and its timber with which Basha had been building. And with him, he built Geba and Mishpah. So, so he's getting challenged again in his previous agreements. And he has this opposition. They want him to break his deal, his previous deal. And so how did he respond? Well, Asa took the silver and gold of the house of the Lord for the purpose of 
of bribing Ben-Hadad. He took the silver and gold from the house of the Lord for the purpose of bribing uh, Ben-Hadad. So was it right to rob God's house to cover uh, and, and, uh, and meet a perceived emergency? Well, robbing God compounded his problems. It was a sign of unbelief. So Asa hired an enemy of God to attack his brothers in Israel, and, and that was bad in itself. And then Ben-Hadad plundered and killed Israelites all across the north, and Asa was partially responsible. And sin always takes you farther than you want to go, makes you stay longer than you want to stay, and pay more than you want to pay. And that's where he found himself. You know, why, when we have such a good thing going, God's favor, he had times of rest, they're fortifying the cities, they had all this plunder, everything's going good, and he starts trying to backtrack on deals and use God's offerings to bail himself out of the situation as a bribe. Well, then it goes on, uh, verse 7 and, uh, and on. Um, he's rebuked by God's prophet again. You know, God's trying to warn him. And so um, Hanai the prophet rebuked Asa for four things. Uh, who he'd relied on, uh, that he relied on the king of Syria, not on the Lord. Uh, then he uh, thought that God couldn't or wouldn't help him, so he, he had to help himself, just like we mentioned before. They tend to revert back to helping ourselves when we think God's not doing it in the right timing. And then second, he acted against his experience. He, he hadn't... Uh, uh, you know, he didn't think about that God had helped him before and why trust him now. And then the Ethiopians had been more numerous than the army of Besha, and yet God defeated them, but he forgets that. And so he is acting against the nature of God, his provider. And, and so he begins to try to bargain, him, uh, bargain on his own. And then he's also acting against his own interest in aiding Ben-Hadad. He lost the opportunity of shrinking that king's power, which would later come back on his nation. So he, he's just compounding his problems by trying to bail himself out. So this awesome beginning comes down to a sad ending. Two years before he died, he was um, diseased in his feet. He had uh, but put the prophet in, uh, the prophet that warned him put him in stocks, and so his punishment answered his, uh, his sin, and then he was... Uh, his sickness had, uh, had gotten so bad, uh, instead of seeking the Lord, he sought only the physicians. So he gave up on God as his healer. And so in a way, he snubbed God and what God had done before. So here's the thing. Over 200 years ago, with flint and steel, a man by the name of Tom Dalton started a fire in his Blue Ridge Mountain cabin. And that's not all that important until you realize that his descendants have kept that fire burning ever since. Even after rebuilding cabins, they've moved the fire, but the family has kept that fire burning over decades and decades. It's actually become the oldest man-made fire in the United States, perhaps the world. And it's not been an easy task for the Dalton descendants, but always there's been a fire kept burning that started clear back at the beginning of their family. We as a church, we as a body of believers, can't forget the instances where God has come to our aid and continue to try to do things on our own power and expect God's favor. And I've been thinking a lot about this as I was thinking about us moving forward with the, uh, the building project. I keep trying to think, okay, how are we supposed to come up with this money? How are we supposed to figure out which bank to use? How are we do this? And, and I, all of a sudden I stop uh, and I think, 
you know, what was I doing when I built my house? And I said, boy, I got into a mess now. God showed up. He, he showed up through people. He showed up through Dave and Ken and others who, who came out and just said, you know what, I can come help you for a day, Pastor. I can come help you for some weeks. And God showed up. And it's so easy for me to start doubting. How can I, how can I do this, you know, with, with all this in front of me? And, and the same thing in our jobs. You know, God's brought you into a good job, and then things go sour, and you're like, well, well, what am I going to do, God? What am I going to do about my job? Or, or my family is going south. Things are going south with my family. And we cannot forget for a moment that he started a fire long ago that it's still burning today. It's whether we choose to be the ones that carry it on, whether we choose to be the ones to keep igniting that fire, keep it going. And so... I'm going to have us take a few moments tonight in closing to pray and ask God to increase our faith that I'm not asking, we're not asking God to bring on more challenges for us because we know he's going to do it already. But whatever challenges you have in your life right now where you've been leaning on your own understanding, you've been, you've been um, trying to hustle to, to figure out what to do, and you've forgotten that God's carried you through many times before, this, this time we want to just take and ask God to help us to have that faith, keep that fire burning, that he is faithful. And what he's done before, he'll do again. Man, let's pray. Thank you, Jesus.